0: Hello everybody and welcome to What Will The Smart Party Do? With me as always is my good friend Baz. How are you doing Baz? I'm, I'm good apart from the rain. <laughs> yeah, it's miserable. I've got a hole in my roof
1: as well. Sorry, I'm particularly delighted with the rain coming down at this close to June. But never mind. It's kind of nice. It's like, you know, the rain's smacking against the windows. It's all gone a bit dark. I put the heat in on again, which offends me on many, many levels as a dad. But that had to happen, yeah. And that means I can like read my role playing books and like roll my dice in my hands. It feels kind of wintry. I like it.
0: Well, yeah. That, I I just put a hoodie on. I've been brave about it, but <laughs> I'm refusing to have the heating on. But anyway, let's look at something that might warm our hearts. Uh, a few weeks ago, we did uh, a little bit of a thing through into the odds where we took a, a, a smallish book, had a read through, and had a bit of a, a deep delve into it. And I think this week we're going to have a look at Fate Accelerated. Have you got a copy in front of you?
1: I have got many copies in front of me. I went mad when Fate Accelerated came out a while back. And because it's only five bucks, i got a few thinking I'll get one for all my players. So I've got about half a dozen of them. They're all well-funded. Wow. Yeah, it's nice. Excellent. And uh, yeah, for those who want to
0: listen along at home, you can always download a copy and pay what you want as well from the Fate Core website. So you can get the PDF effectively for nothing. But it'd be nice if you took a dollar or two their way as well. But yeah, if you're on a budget, you can grab this book for virtually nothing
1: think yes, it cost me £3.99 in actual money from a shop, which is, that, that's like a frothy coffee. That ain't bad. It is.
0: Yeah, that's all right, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I know people moan about the price of everything these days, but you know what, if you get a couple of hours of entertainment out of this, or even just to read through, and I think you will get more, spoiler alert, uh, I think it's well worth the money in, in an age where you can spend 35 40 quid 40 on a big hardback book that maybe doesn't get so much use
0: yeah pretty true now there's there's fake core isn't there which is a bit chunkier uh, hardback and it's more the full fat version this is kind of a slim down get you started quickly kind of version would you say well
1: i think i think it's designed that way i think it, it, you can just tell from the cover it's got sort of cartoony stuff on it um it talks all the way through it about how to pick it up and play with it um it's kind of pitched at newbie oh. gamers but I guess, without spoiling too much of the discussion about it, its I don't know if it's any easier than a fake core. Um, I've seen opinions expressed before about how it's just a a slicker version of fake core, but it's not necessarily any simpler. I guess we'll see as we we read through it. I mean, I I took it as an intro to role-playing book because it certainly looks that way with the price, the design, and the language. Um, Does it work out that way? I guess we'll see. Yeah, yeah.
0: And I think... You know, from just from the look of it, it is quite bold and brash. And the art, to be honest, isn't necessarily my sort of cup of tea, you know. Or at all. Uh, but, <laughs> or at all, yeah. I'm trying to... I mean, I do <laughs> like the artist. I've seen a lot of her work. Um But it, I think that's the, the, the important thing about it for a role-playing book, is that the art gives you an idea about what the game's about. So... You know, there's no tentacle beast on the front. Or if I'd seen some Dennis Detwiller art or whatever with uh, someone dying alone and a fridge in the forest, I'd get an idea about uh, Delta Green, for example. Whereas this sort of art uh, gives you a good idea that it's going to be kind of pulpy and fun and sort of maybe PG-13 and a bit more kind of Saturday morning cartoons, maybe? I don't know. What do you think?
1: Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's cartoony, but it's not necessarily comic book. It does remind me of, like, you know, um, uh, Batman animated series, that kind of stuff. You've got three characters yeah. on the front. You've got, um, you've got like a, a cat girl pirate queen. Uh, you've got like a young dreadlocked, uh, monk type dude. And you've got like an emo gal at magic university. And on the back, you've got like a, a gadget gal, uh, with a sort of like a little backpack helicopter device thing. It's already cool. It's, uh, I'm already seeing diversity, which you don't often see on the front of a role playing book. That's kind of cool in and of itself. Um, but yeah, I, I think it looks appealing.
0: Yeah. It definitely looks um, it looks fun. It's got that, that feel about it. Okay. So um, jumping inside then, the contents page is uh, well, it is that. It's just a page. So that, that gives you a, a good idea that it's not going to be over the top. It's quite clear. It's got a little picture on it. and uh, Everything's laid out in front of you about what you're going to do. So I think that's all fair enough. There's not too much to say about it. It's a contents page, but keeping it all to one A5 side and make everything clear and labelled. Uh, and if you get the PDF, it's all hyperlinked as well, so you can just click on the Being the GM bit, for example, and it'll jump straight to that page. So that's all pretty handy if you're reading it on a tablet or anything like that.
1: Yeah, one thing I do know it's almost straight away is this came out in 2013. I didn't realise it was so old. What, what have I been doing myself for three years, guys? I thought this was a fairly new book in the collection. <laughs> 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 It's only new in that you've only just taken the cellophane off it. I well, I've still got a little three ninety nine price sticker on the back, which I actually want to peel off now because it annoys me. So that's got to go. Yeah, <laughs> so well, my, the price you, I you quoted that, earlier I might be wrong. I'll carry on talking. <laughs> Inflation <laughs> might have caught up. It could be 20 quid now for all I know. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, well, there's, there's another full-page piece of art pretty soon afterwards, which has got um, kind of the, the gadgeteer girl with a, a sort of rotocopter thing on her back fleeing from a bunch of flying minions and I presume some arched villain or nemesis shouting in the background to send his his flying minions to go and capture it so that gives you an idea of the sort of um, maybe it's sort of like it's in black and white as well so it feels to me a little bit like it hogs back to the 1930s kind of Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon kind of school of thought but that's that's all fine, again it's more it's down that action adventure route again I think we're saying so then it gives you a bit of a, a bit of stuff on getting started, which I quite like, uh, in that it gives a one-paragraph shot of what a role-playing game is, i.e., you know that TV show you like, you know that film you like. Well, isn't it awesome? And wouldn't you like to do that stuff? Which I think is a fairly
1: standard pitch.
0: Yeah, it gives a nod to Dungeons & Dragons as well. Uh, it tells you how many people you might need, and you'll need some dice and things like that.
1: I think it's done quite well. It's um, that, that can often be two or three pages in your standard textbooks, can't it? And, um, yes. And everybody's got their own take on what is a role playing game, uh, but this doesn't start with what is a role playing game. It starts with get started, which I, I think is quite a nice call to action. It's a subtle thing, I know, but it's only a couple of paragraphs, and it's like this is what you need to get playing. It kind of it makes you think you're going to be playing the game like a minute later. I quite like that instead of this is something you're going to have to study a little bit or do some research on. That's kind of smart, and the, and the list of stuff that you need um, is not what you would call standard. I mean, yes, it wants three to five people. One of you will be game master; the other ones will players. Fine, but then it's straight into fate dice and deck of fate. That's not something that everyone's going to have laying around. So, this is where immediately I'm starting to wonder if this is really that newbie friendly. What do you think about fate dice and decks of fate? Because it says you need them
0: uh yeah well the the good thing is is the little call out box that says if you don't have fake dice or whatever or fudge dice then you can use regular six sided dice uh, and it tells you how to use them which makes things a little bit awkward but um i don't know i think that, i think that's fine i think that, you know, you, could, you can tell the age of the thing a little bit because it mentions the deck of fate and says that they'll be available in 2013 or 14. And you can, <laughs> I kind of want to fire off an email now and say, "Will you please change that line?" Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. And just link to your website. But um, yeah, I know what you mean. I, I know what you mean. It's, it's it's mixed, not a mixed message, but it's as seasoned role players, we can see. All right, we need fate dice. Fine. Uh, if you've done, if you've never encountered one before, or only ever seen dice in Monopoly or something, it might be a bit more of a stretch for you. Um,
1: no more of it, a stretch than it, grab a D20, a D8, and a D10 that other games do, yeah. in fairness. But I think other yeah. beginner products would put the polyhedrals in, in the box or the whatever, wouldn't
0: they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so it's it's quite amusing in a way that it says if you don't have them, use regular six-sided dice. Because that in itself kind of gives you the impression that there's other types, whereas some people might just <laughs> think, but that, isn't that just a dice you are talking about? I don't understand. <laughs> But I think it's fine. Again, it's sticking to that theme of just having one page and saying, this is what you do, this is what you need. Uh, and then we're ready to rock on to the next bit and find out what, what we're doing. So that's that's pretty nice. It's got its own little... I think it's all very neatly laid out as well.
1: The layout's nice. It's it's very readable. It's very legible. Lots of decent white space with margins. There's no walls of text. Um, the, the little chapters and sub-chapters do exactly what they say at the top. Uh, And most of the time, when you turn a page, you're into a brand new section. So even though we're only on a few pages in, it feels like it's moving forwards. It doesn't feel at all difficult to read. I like that.
0: Yeah, and once you've been through it, you don't really feel like you need to flip back again and reread something, do you? Or certainly not at this stage. You feel like, yeah, okay, I understand that. Let's carry on. So that's nice. Um, And and again, when we get to telling stories together, which is basically what role-playing is, as the next page. You've got like little call outs down the left-hand side as well, where it links to other things. So when it mentions the GM and what their job might be, if you're wondering, they can skip to that page. And again, the the page 35 bit is hyperlinked, so you can just tap on it and get straight there. That kind of stuff. They're only little things, but um, it just makes the the document itself, and certainly in today's more electronic world, really useful and usable. Which is you know
1: exactly what a younger market's after, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, and you're straight into telling stories together so it's a storytelling game um, and if you're an experienced gamer I guess that comes with a bit of baggage but they don't bang on about it too much I think it's just natural language isn't it? It is exactly mm. what what it means, it, it doesn't carry any kind of hidden agenda or anything about like, so there's going to be no magnetic fish, I don't think, or or kind of like <laughs> out there methods of resolution and people wearing paper masks or having to put on accents. It just tells you like it is, and and it and it explains what it means and it says how it works and it and it talks about telling stories together and about how there's a a difference between a GM and an NPC and a PC. And it actually, I think it it strips down to what can only be about two or three hundred words, stuff that other games spend two or three chapters often talking about. I think it's quite nicely done, and and I, I'd advise anyone who's reading this who who does know gaming, and they probably do if they're listening to this, is don't skip it. It wouldn't take very long to read, but it's a really good summary of where they're at with this book. I think so. Uh,
0: and it's it's sort of answering the questions that it expects people to have if they perhaps don't know about this kind of stuff, isn't it? Because the, the two sort of subheadings on the page straight away are what do you mean tell stories, and so how do we do it? Which is, you know, it's nice to address what someone's probably thinking.
1: I, I actually would hand that to somebody who said, what is this role-playing that you like doing so much? I feel like I could hand them this book, say, read that, and by page seven they'd have a really good idea. I wouldn't do that. I'd have a chat yeah. with them. But arguably I would probably muddy the waters a little bit by bringing in all kinds <laughs> of strange histories and, and and jargon and nonsense that isn't necessary. But that that's, that's so far is a book you could pull off the shelf and it would show you what it meant.
0: So that's all cool. I don't think we need to dwell too much more on that kind of stuff. Um, so after, after those couple of pages, then on answering the expected questions from new players, I guess it comes down to straight away who would you want to be. Which again, I think it's it's what you were talking about with language. Rather than rather than having the baggage of character generation, it's it's already couching in terms of like, well, who do you want to be in this game? And you, you know, you avoiding all the kind of old cliches and how to roll my stats up or anything like that for probably people who have been brought up a certain way or have been introduced a certain way to gaming and just sort of cutting it straight down to what we're actually going to do at the
1: table which is nice yeah it's subtle stuff isn't it but i think it makes a real difference and again i'm not sure i noticed it on my first read through because i'm an experienced gamer but actually i think that's a really clever bit um i can't remember what it says in fake core i'm sure we'll talk about that later but maybe it doesn't use headings like that maybe it does speak to the experienced gamer but i, I like the language in this very much it starts off with, with, you know, let's decide who your character is. What do they look like? What are they good at? And what do they believe? They're three very strong questions. Um, and for me, that trumps some of the other stuff you'll see in books, where you get given a 20-question lifestyle questionnaire to help flesh out the character. <laughs> if you could just answer those yeah. three questions, you've got your little intro bit that most games start with as well. I think that's quite quite clever.
0: And I think front and centre, as well, it mentions aspects. and uh, talks about them in a nutshell, which is kind of a big part of the whole fate family of games isn't it so that they need to be brought up and crucially um at the bottom of that page they've got some examples of what it might be so feline captain of cirrus skimmer and all that kind of stuff so it gives you an idea of what uh, um your aspect might look like or what you expected to produce yourself because i think that's something that if you look at a game like over the edge um, that's when we we can have anything you want. And every time I've run it with people, and we start to make characters, and I tell them the game anything at all they can think of. Then everybody immediately gets paralysis and not quite knows what to do. So, just some examples and a bit of direction, I think, really helps with that. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Something for new players, you know. What I mean, if, if you're new to a game and you say you can have everything, what what do you want to be? They'd be a bit kind of like, uh, I don't know, what can I be? What are the options? What you know? You need some kind of framework, don't you, or some kind of guidance.
1: Yeah, and it's um, and it it talks about creating setting at the same time as you create characters. Is it seems to have this idea, which, and they talk about it quite naturally as if it's obvious. It's not immediately obvious to me as a trad gamer, but it seems to think that you'll get together with your mates. One of you will say, "Would you fancy playing a game?" Everyone will go, "Yeah, cool. What have you got?" And one of you will say, "I've got this thing called Fate Accelerated. Should we do some role playing?" everybody agrees and then over the course of the next 15 or 20 minutes everyone says well what sort of thing should we do then should we do like a bit like Star Warsy stuff or does anyone fancy doing you know maybe some anime that I watched last week or or how about some fantasy stuff or or whatever and that you would have that kind of conversation and characters and setting would all happen at the same time in just a kind of a, a, a kind of brainstorm chit-chat way and and loads of other games you know, encourage you to do that as part of the first session, but this game just naturally assumes that that's how your session will fall into place, almost as if like there's nothing on the telly tonight. Shall we role play? But you're with your buddies, so why not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, know, I don't know, I know if role playing yeah. sessions actually come together like that so much, but it's quite a nice idea. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, be good if
0: you. I think you're. It, it does. I think I get the same from Fate a little bit that it feels like an idealised version but then how else are you going to write your book you know you're not going to produce a game and go you know you get four players together but like Jeff and Bob dots are very interested and
1: Martha's really unsure <laughs> you know, it's not, that's that's not going to sell you many books is it? yeah. Baz can't get a babysitter and, <laughs> <laughs> and your other mate's just got himself a new girlfriend so he's given up gaming for ages yeah it's not going to happen is it now, you can't put too much realism into a fantasy game I do get that but I quite like that it asks questions unfortunately a lot of the answers do have exclamation marks at the end so it's getting a little bit a little bit exuberant (laughs) perhaps but that's being very very picky indeed i like that it says are you playing in a school for young sorcerers are you being a space pilot fighting an evil empire these are decent questions because immediately your brain says yes no or i'm not too bothered let's see how it goes Um, and you're straight you're thinking about imaginary situations before you've been asked to write anything down and that's getting you in the role-playing mood so your important aspects that
0: you have to pick first, if you're picking them, is uh, the first one's a high concept, which just basically defines what you are, isn't it? It's basically your job and your, your your calling in life. And then interestingly, the second one is a trouble, so you straight away have something that that is going to become, that's going to come up, that's going to be some kind of uh, antagonist or something that like uh, a smaller sibling that keeps getting himself in trouble or whatever, whatever it is. But I like the idea that your your first two things are just define who you are and then the thing that always messes you up or is going to be a challenge for you so you're straight away introducing the two most important bits arguably certainly for a first session or two
1: yeah it's a i don't and they kind of don't overrate this by banging on about how important it is i think that comes in a bit later because the thing that i've always found with aspects is it's a real art you can go absolutely mad trying to figure out exactly the right aspect um and, and I have driven myself mad trying to come up with the right aspect. I think, to be honest, because they don't over it here, they make it look like it's actually fairly simple to come up with a high concept. And I think for various reasons, maybe it isn't. Like analysis paralysis or fear of getting it wrong or getting way too wordy with it, putting too much in, putting not enough in. There is definitely loads more art to it. But if you just keep it simple and don't overthink it and come up with... um I don't know, uh, Interstellar Time Lord. That'd do. That'd get you going. And you could always sort of monkey around with it later if you needed to. So, um, yeah. That, it, although it makes it look very straightforward and simple, and I think it is asking the right questions, I myself have already run into challenges with coming up with something that would work in the game later on. What, what do you think? Do you think Aspects is is relatively straightforward or a challenge or what?
0: Uh, I think it's interesting so, if we take some of the example high concept ones like um, Suncaller of the Andral Desert, I think that's something that we could come up with. We're not really sure what a Suncaller is or where the Andral Desert is or what, but you know th- that is something that we could definitely like spring to mind. I think for a newer player, they'd struggle to come up with that kind of stuff because I think what I'd be asking is, you know, what's the Cir- what's the Cirrus Skimmer and what's the Andral Desert and who's the Rgemae or you know the Although those are interesting things for a concept you should put in, arguably for an aspect, to make it more interesting. Rather just, I'm a sky captain, you put I'm the sky captain of ship name. I think for newer players, they might struggle a little bit to come up with that extra bit. Like they'd be kind of, well, what what ships are there and what world are we in? And and I think there'd be more questions than anything. So I think you've got to have a certain mindset with it to know that you've got kind of that agency to come up with whatever you want. Uh, And then it'll get reincorporated into the game. Which, you know, the text so far hasn't really said a massive amount on. So I think I'm sort of leaning again back towards your sort of bit about although it's written very much so that new people could arguably pick it up and play with it and probably do. Um, there is a little bit of implied sort of skill that you got to have their experience or know what they're about, I guess. So to, to make the most of it arguably. But again, if if you just had uh, I'm a sky captain as your high concept, I think that works fine. I think you can try and like you say, over-egg it a little bit sometimes and try and really define it to make it perfect. But as long as it says the right sort of thing and you all know what it means around the table, importantly, I think that's fine.
1: Yeah, and and I think it, it kind of goes unsaid, but there is an assumption here is that everyone around the table is batting these ideas backwards and forwards around the table. I don't get the impression this is something where you sit on your own with your notebook and come up with a character. As much fun as that would be, you're all talking about it. So when someone says, I want to be... um uh, chief field agent someone around table was probably going to say of what? Which is not an unreasonable question and it, it wouldn't necessarily be the GM either you know I think the GM will tend to want to lead these things but it probably doesn't. This idealised situation they present in front of us is people just sort of like riffing away with each other um, and probably mentioning uh, some of the touchstones like oh what like in that cartoon that you, that you love or that film we watched last week or has everybody read such and such um, and I get that, that makes perfect sense and if everybody has got the same touchstones then calling on something from I don't know, the Hunger Games, if everybody's read it and they're cool and down with it they can just use two words for that aspect and everybody gets it um, so, you know, cool bring it on Yeah, absolutely and then
0: I think this is a curious bit they've got next, we have optionally you have one or two additional aspects and that's quite a I think it's just interesting to do it that way because if you're a, a gamer gamer, as a lot of people are, and like having options, they want to know how many points they have, or if you said you can have one or two aspects, they'd be like, well, what's the cost of the second one? But there isn't. You can just have two if you want, or one, whatever you want to. <laughs> yeah. and, that's, it's a, and that's just an odd thing compared to a lot of games, you know what I mean? Everything else is about balance or whether you roll well and all the rest of it. This is just
1: like, well, do what you want. Here's <laughs> your choice. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, and it again, it's kind of what the book doesn't say that's revealing to the experienced gamer. It doesn't say like if one of you picks uh, Wolverine as your high concept, then the rest of you got an idea of what the balance is like. There is no balance because one of you could equally be, you know, a, a Doctor Who's um, companion with no powers whatsoever. Or one of you could be a small child, as far as I can see in here. It doesn't make any difference yet, because you haven't got to that nitty-grittiness, and it doesn't suggest, like, try and pick people who will will get along with each other of a similar power level. It doesn't need to say it at this point, so it doesn't. And it's only the old grognards like you and I are thinking... Really? One or two additional aspects? Well, I'll take two then, clearly. Because (laughs) (laughs) why would I take one if I'm being offered two?
0: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, and it does actually mention that you could leave one or both blank and then fill them in later on once the game's starting you've got a better idea, which makes sense. We've all played games like that before now. and uh, But I like the idea that you could leave them both blank if you wanted, that you literally can't just start with your high concepts and your trouble and get going, and then you work the rest of it out when you've sort of gotten your character's skin a little bit and sort of thrown some problems backwards and forwards a little bit to work out what shakes out. Yeah, there's a little call-out box with just a, a six points of everything's just told you, but in the space of six sentences, very short sentences at that,
1: which I think is just uh, awesome, frankly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Um, and, and it is a genuinely good summary as well, as in, it doesn't miss anything out. You could just read that and you would get as much out of the game as the person who read all the other words. So, you know, happy days. Right, what's next? Next is Approaches. Oh, I love Approaches. Unlike Fate Core,
0: where you have maybe 10 skills, something like that, in a pyramid, uh, in uh, Fate Accelerated you just have six approaches which are Careful, clever, flashy, forceful, quick, and sneaky. And you pick one that's good and one that's mediocre, and the rest are fair or average. Uh, which means one's a plus three and one gets no bonus, and then there's a plus two, plus one. Um, and basically, they're just the way you approach it. Uh, so, well, any task or anything that you want to do, really, any challenge. So, if you wanted, if you're in a fantasy world, for example, and you wanted a, a fighter, then you might pick forceful as your main approach because most of the time you're going to hit things with your axe or break doors down or have brawls in bars and that kind of stuff and if you're a thief you might pick sneaky as your top uh, approach because quite often you're going to be sneaky about stuff and filch things from people's pockets or try and sneak down and uh, get in the back way or get backstabs or things like that so rather than having a bunch of different skills it's just got a, how do you approach your problems generally and some are more favored than others
1: so my opinion on these is that these are the single best thing to happen to gaming in 20 years. So, Wow. That's because you don't like skills. Correct. Exactly. <laughs> and someone else has finally agreed with me and written it down. <laughs> <laughs> I think these are absolutely genius. It's really, really subtle stuff, but it's really clever. This is six of them, so it feeds into that kind of proto-memory that we all have of uh, strength, constitution, dexterity those six stats or whether you got it from Traveller or RuneQuest or whatever six stats is is a really good number and it kind of scratches a gamer's fundamental brain um, I like that but unlike every other iteration of stats which tell you what you do this is how you do stuff and that is such a fundamental change to for want of a better word the approach you have to gaming because you are quite right Gaz the thief may well have sneaky as their top tier ability and their or their top tier approach but there's plenty of fantastic thieves who don't have sneaky at the top and you've only got to watch I don't know, Mission Impossible they're all technically thieves in that but you've got a forceful one, you've got a flashy one you've got a careful one, you've got a clever one you could have a team of thieves who all have different approaches to the way they do thievery you could have flashy fighters you could have careful fighters and we can all think of examples of that kind of stuff I think this is really, really clever stuff it's it just works for me on a whole bunch of different levels because it also uses vocabulary that you can say out loud at the table without dropping out of the story that you're all telling with each other so you're not talking about who's got the highest strength you're saying i'm the most careful and that little bit there that that's enough to yeah, again, for one of a better term, keep the immersion going to make it really feel like you are all generating a story together. You're not looking to the rules and dropping out of the game at certain points to compare numbers. Mm. They have numbers, and they put adjectives next to them. But your approach is, when you say to the to the players, as we know we're going to have to do in a game, you know, what do you do? This is the answers. Whereas when you say, what do you do to people in other games... They can't answer it without referring to something that isn't on their character sheet or that is. There's a very, very tiny disconnect. And sometimes that gets to be quite a big deal. But if you say to someone in Fate, what are you going to do? They're going to say, immediately think, even if they look down their sheet, I'm going to be approaching this task in a certain way and I can use the word. I think it's clever.
0: Yeah, I don't disagree. Uh the, the sort of challenge I'd throw out there is, is perhaps and big this comes down to gameriness really, that certain things are plus three and as I mentioned all the rest are lower. So if you are sneaky as your apex approach, want of a better phrase, um you're always gonna try and be sneaky. Or what I've noticed in play is most people try and sneaky and they try and be sneaky all the time. Even when it's perhaps not the most obvious answer, and it's fine to try and think of different ways around a problem so you get to use a better number but i'm just wondering over the space of like you know four, five, six sessions and beyond if someone's constantly saying it well i'll sneakily go around the back i'll sneakily do this i'll sneakily do that does it get a little bit tired or is the potential there for you to be always using the same sort of approach and adjective rather than maybe look at different ways of doing sometimes doing things differently and then
1: using a different value do you know what i mean I do totally and, and you know the usual advice is for the GM to throw up kind of last minute obstacles to that kind of thing and say well that approach just is invalid in this situation you can't be flashy because you're trying to sneak up on the guard oh, okay all right well I, I, I totally get that the situation might merit that you don't have a full choice of six approaches at that point I get it but you know what thinking about it a little bit more and I've thought about it a lot well, since 2013, it turns out. <laughs> I, I just don't have a problem with it. I think it's not as big a problem as you might regard. So my analogy for this would be take another game. Let's take I take D&D. Why not take D&D? It's a game that everybody knows. It's like the Rosetta Stone of gaming. Whoever gives the fighter a hard time for always hitting things? Whoever gives the wizard a hard time for always using magic in every situation? You know, these these are like signature... Moves, signature abilities. It's, I mean, I, I got turned on to something a couple of years back, I read, and I genuinely don't remember where the source book was, but it said if you're playing a wizard in this game, just be wizardly in everything you do. When you order a drink at the bar, have an invisible hand to pick it up. You know, draw your sword with telekinesis. Um, if you're the fighter, you know, see everything as a win lose conversation. Be aggressive. <laughs> you know, just be a fighter all the time. Does that get old? Well, maybe a little bit, and you can play against type every now and again. But do you know what? If someone really likes being sneaky, and that's their favourite approach, if they're trying to leverage their sneakiness all the time, then I think you've got a party on the assumption you haven't got four people with as sneaky as their apex skill or apex approach. I just wonder. I'm not sure that it would get that old if it's cool. If it's boring and you're just mashing the sneaky button... That's no no less boring than saying I hit it with my axe in any other game, which you know you've got methods for dealing with, haven't you? Yeah, there is only yeah. six approaches. Yeah, you want to go for your highest, but do you know what, mate? When I play Blue Pack, if I've got my highest skill in biology, I'm looking to use biology to solve the investigation. I just am. It's not unreasonable, is it? No,
0: I think what's potentially missing here for me is um, just it could be a call-out box, or it could be a bit of a bit half a page, something I, I don't know, but just something to tell. Or to give guys to say, you're probably going to want to be sneaky or flashy or whatever all the time, but try and think of different ways of saying it or try and, you know, just a little bit more around the kind of how to make it more interesting, I guess I'm saying. Because you are more likely to use your big numbers. So it could, certainly for newer people, I reckon it could do with just a little bit of a guidance just to say like, if you are going to be sneaky all the time, then try and think of different ways of doing that and saying it and making it interesting for the other people around the table. Because rather just saying, I'll be sneaky, or, you know, I'm going to carefully do this. Just a bit, I think just a bit of um, sort of like an avuncular arm around the shoulders to give people a few pointers on how you do it to make it more interesting when you're going to keep using the same sort of stuff. Because otherwise it kind of gives you the another way you could look at it implicitly is that kind of like I'm gonna to have to use all these approaches because there's nothing about at some point you know there's i don't know maybe maybe there's a bit more of that later on I can't quite remember so we can leave that there but I think that's the only thing I'd say is that I think there's just a little bit of potential for you to be a bit kind of uh we've only got these six approaches and I'm only going to use one or two of them really um how would I make that more interesting perhaps is that that's maybe
1: what I want to see a little bit more of there uh, fair point. Uh, hopefully, the, the book will generate some answers for that. My call out, if I could write a little box in there, would be um, if out of all of the people sitting around your table playing, make sure you try and pick your best approach differently from everybody else around the table. And that might get you to a similar place with fewer words. Dunno. Yeah. Yeah, maybe.
0: Okay, then. Let's nip on. So, next we've got um, Stunts and Refresh. These are terrible. these are all right approaches are great stunts rubbish correct so certainly the way they presented here this feels a bit more like fake horror if you know what I mean it feels like a bit more of the uh, nuts and bolts of how a game would work rather than getting on with it Uh, which I don't think there's anything bad here but I can understand why you think that they're not as great Hmm. because it's uh, it's uh, It almost guides you down with a text saying, like, you'll get a plus two in certain circumstances. And that's pretty much what it says, isn't it? Except it takes.
1: Yeah, I I mean, for those who don't know, a stunt is kind of like a feat in D20 games or just one of those little special signature abilities that you have. Um, And and it's, it's the opposite of an approach because it's not about how you do something, it's very much a what you do in a specific circumstance kind of thing. So it's a special ability, it's that kind of stuff and it's it, there's it straight away in the call out it says the advice is pick one later after you've played the game which i think is probably good advice or go to fake core if you want to see it explained properly so i i i think they they struggled most of all with stunts in this book trying to condense it down i still think they did a reasonable job of it and it is only saying what a stunt is at this point but it goes from it goes from something which I know you hate the word, but it goes from something I consider to be quite elegant to straight into crunchy gears over the course of one page. And I find that a little bit jarring. And stunts are the place where I get stuck quickest when it comes to fake games. So, yeah. And yeah. you know what?
0: They could have missed that page out, I think. Yep. I agree. Do you know what I mean? For, for the sake of this book, I understand why it's in fake core, but for the sake of accelerated, you could have just missed that whole page. But, you know. But they didn't. So there we are. They Didn't someone we'll move on? Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> the, the next bit uh, is how to do stuff, which is good. Again, we've got a thirty-second box, which if you can't be bothered reading the next sort of three or four pages, just gives you six points of this is basically what you are telling you to do. So that's nice, uh, and it's good in that that simple language of describe what you want to do and see if something can stop you. With the implicit point there being that if they can't, then don't worry about it. You just do it. Uh, And then decide how you're going to do that. And it mentions the four different ways you can do things in Fate around the creating advantage, overcome, attack, or defend. Decide your approach, roll your dice, see if you want to modify it with your aspects, and then figure out what happened. That's basically the core of the mechanics, right there, isn't it? That's everything, more or less.
1: It is, Uh, and uh, if you've ever tried to write down how your mechanics work in your game, if you're in any way a designer, you'll know how difficult it is to get it down to six bullet points. Even if it's a relatively simple task resolution system, this is quite clever stuff. Um, this is really good editing based on probably years of writing it down in loads of different ways in the precursor games to this and what have you. But that I find myself going back to that little chart over and over again whenever I get stuck. And you wouldn't think you would get stuck with this, but, but fate has some sticking points. Um, and this is just really useful. It tells you how the game works. Uh, again, something that other games would take fifty sixty pages to do a couple of chapters and maybe send you to some online help communities as well um This is good, and it does say there are you know four ways of doing stuff there's you know four types of action it actually delineates them there um create an advantage, overcome, attack, or defend so two of them are about kind of conflict immediately, so that gives you an idea that like half the game is set up to resolve that kind of stuff. I think that's a fair call. Um, and then the other two, I don't immediately know what they are. If I'm a brand new gamer, create an advantage or overcome, I've got a sense of it. But that's, it's not jargon. That's normal language. It's not capitalized, which I think is good.
0: Yeah, often you yeah, see yeah, these yeah, game yeah.
1: terms, the first letter's capitalized, and you think, oh, here we go. So, yeah, I want to know <laughs> more at this point. I think that's all right. Um, and you know, it does talk about aspects which become the things that modify your role. So you got introduced to them earlier, and now you can see that you can play with the basic game rules by using those words. So that's interesting.
0: Yeah, uh, and in the accompanying text, it gives you a bit more of a feel for that by saying if you're a swordsman, you know you can just pull out your sword and start hitting people, and if you're a magician, crack on with it and throw your spells around. Uh, if you want something cool or special to make come out of it, then you spend your fate points and invoke an aspect, and that's where you get your extra bonuses from. So the stuff that you would expect to do being a sky captain or whatever, you can just do that if you want to do it really well or in a, a super fashion then that's where this whole aspects and fair points comes into the mix
1: yeah yeah absolutely and it, and it shows you how to roll fake dice which again for those of you who don't know just tend to which well, it's usually four dice they've got uh, either blank sides minuses or pluses on them yeah, you chuck all of those and you add them to your number and your number tends to stay what it was on the sheet of paper they default towards the average don't they but they can move up or down a little bit from there Um, And then you've got got four potential outcomes. So there's four four things to do, uh, four actions you could take, and four outcomes you could get, which is failure, a tie, success, or success with style. So there's quite a lot of outcomes from four actions and four outcomes. I can't do the maths in my head. Um, But even from just what looks like a relatively straightforward roll some dice, get a single number, there's an awful lot of possibilities in that.
0: I think so. Uh, it and uh, it does tend to, I think, from my experience, it averages out quite a lot. So you end yes. up yes. around the sort of number you started with quite often, or you know, within one or two either side more than it being a massive swing one way or the other. But that sort of in player then gives you an idea of what you can sort of accomplish. So if you're given a certain difficulty or a level that you have to hit, you understand that if you need to get plus five overall and you've got plus three, that you then might have to start including some aspects or getting some help off other of players because the chances are you won't roll that naturally, so you're going to have to work out how you get some advantages together, or do you start using that thing called create advantages and those sort of things to to help you out on
1: that roll? Yeah, it does, and it, it also allows, at a glance, your GM, particularly your GM, to dispense with dice rolls on certain occasions because they can see that without rolling the dice, you've already hit the required level. You know that kind of stuff. It's um, it it does make it very much at a glance. The fact that your final number will probably end up quite close to the number you started with, whereas in many games you might start with like a skill of plus 7, but you're rolling another 2d6, so it's always going to be something more, but you never know quite how much. So you have to roll to see what's going to happen. In this game, not so much. Um, but I think there will always be a temptation to roll, because without doing that, you don't get to generate the other stuff that's in the game. So, yeah.
0: Um Yeah, so after that, it's sort of... um gets down into well it tells you what your outcomes might be and that's that's where the the interesting bit is as well because it's not a lot of task resolution stuff just kind of like succeed or fail Uh, and this sort of brings in the idea that if you succeed but by a certain amount then you're going to get an extra bit of bonus from it Uh, and it's that nice little language as well calling it succeed with style which is the you know you're not just like got i don't know there's there's a version of the games call it various different things but succeed with style Sounds pretty cool. It sounds like you've done something, and everybody's impressed by what you've done, sort of thing.
1: That's nice. Um, it, it, it just again uses language in its fairly natural conversational sense to tell you what's going to happen. It doesn't sound like a rule, does it, Succeed with style? It doesn't sound yeah. like something you'd see in a glossary. It just it is, it is what it is. Yeah, and then it, obviously it gets pitched back to the players at that point. So there's um, there's a few different things in there for the actions. Um, if you don't mind the one i want to concentrate on really is overcome is just you know is overcoming an obstacle really it's just trying to get over a you know a block in the path of the adventure an attack and defender reasonably straightforward the one that that often throws people and it has thrown me is create an advantage and it it throws me sometimes because it's called out as a possibility now in plenty of games in plenty of scenarios over the years as a player I've tried to do something that does create an advantage without knowing I was doing it really Um, I'm I'm not sure I ever needed a rule for it in the past but as soon as it gets said as a rule I sometimes get a bit blind to what that's trying to be and again I think I'm overthinking it massively here because it's the first one in there but it's the one I see people fall over quite a bit, have you had experiences with that guys?
0: Um, Yeah I can't quite remember the detail of this one whether I'm thinking of fake or not but one of the things I remember from previous fake games is creating an advantage by creating an aspect on the scene or doing something like that. And you get like a, a free stab at it. So you get a free plus two for using it. And what I noticed in a lot of games was someone would use their go up or their turn to create this advantage. And then another player later down the line would just nick it and get get their benefit from it and then do something really cool because they got loads of bonuses. And you always felt, or I felt like a little bit like, well, that's just a bit rude. I've created that, you know. I've forgiven, or well, have my sort of action in terms of being aggressive or doing something super cool this turn, just to kind of get the bonus for next turn. And then you robbed it off me. So I think in fake Core it actually says like you can't do that without permission. So you can't just nick somebody else's stuff they've spent time building up to. Um, but aside from that, I think that's the thing. It's it's kind of uh, if you look, I think a little bit later on it's got kind of ganging up, or if you're helping someone out, you just get a plus one. Whereas this can give you the the plus two effect that so gives that. That aspect, and if you get a really good success, then you might get extra bonuses from it. So it's it's kind of a way of instead of just saying you get plus one for helping your mates out, I think this is a way of trying to get you to help out the group in a way, and and you could get like loads of help from it if you do really well on your create advantage. So it's it's making teamwork uh, more effective and more desirable and something to aim for, and, and you know making a role out of it rather than just being okay. Well, everybody just give plus one to this guy and they'll do well. It's kind of like. Well, you can support someone and there's actually you know, there's mechanics around it. You d- you do something, you tear apart, you roll some dice to do that thing as well. Well, that's
1: the way I see it anyway. Yeah, and again, without trying to overthink it too much, it is, it is basically whenever the player says something and it sounds like they're trying to set themselves up for a better result later, they're trying to create an advantage and it is what it sounds like. And that might be taking aim at something or setting an ambush or researching something before they go there. It's all creating an advantage. It's just I think in many games there either isn't a distinct dice roll for that part of the game. It just tends to work. I mean, you never have to make a roll to aim in any other game, do you? you? Your aim is successful. It's whether the shot is successful or not at the end of it that matters. And you you might have to make a roll to do some research, but with this, there's specific mechanical stuff that kicks in later on, and it's definitely a gnarly bit of rules right in the middle of what has so far been what appears to be quite a slick game and it's tripped me up before and the only reason I think it's really tripped me up before is because I either overthink it and put way too much emphasis on what exactly it means Um, and the players were just trying to do something what they consider to be fairly straightforward and all of a sudden I'm making a roll of dice for it and writing down strange sentences on index cards and talking about boosts which hadn't come into the game up until that point Mm. so I do think think it's, it's a slight hurdle in another way, slick game for me.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is a little bit. I think to to the credit of Fairtex Accelerated here in the Create and Advantage top section, it'll tell you the sort of things that you could do for that. Um, and things like where it mentioned boost, there's like, again, that hyperlink straight through to, to where the actual description is. Um, probably another thing that could help here is, is, you know, we've always mentioned before about your first role tends to be a perception and whatever else. Well, that would easily be a creating advantage, wouldn't it, instead? Although it's not explicitly called out. It's, you know, if you go into the creepy warehouse and you're trying to work out where the big bad is or something, you're like, I want to have a look around and see see where someone might be hiding. Well, that actually works out as you create an advantage. So you could put an aspect on the scene of, you know, um naked light bulbs above or something, you know, whatever it is, but something that will then help you later on when you do encounter the baddie the that's lurking behind the crates or whatever it is. So it's um I think it's you've got to try and think of it like that in terms of what extra cool stuff can I add into what's going on that I'll then get to leverage a bit later on, um because there's, there's a similar sort of thing in um in the One Ring that like before you have a fight or one of the steps into leading up to it, is you make a battle roll to see if you get some advan- advantages later on, uh so you basically can store up some dice to use a bit later and then you have to describe what the thing is that gives you that extra bonus at the time so it's it's similar
1: to that in that sort of way you basically kind of Storing up some juju for later on, aren't you? Really? Mm. Yeah, all of that makes perfect sense. And, and whenever anybody explains it to me, like you've just done, I go, "Yeah, totally get it." But when the dice sometimes hit the table, I still stumble. And I think one of the places I stumble is, and it says as much in the book here, is you're only really going to be rolling the dice when you've, when there's a chance you could fail. And sometimes with the create advantage examples that I see, including the ones in this book, then what's the chance of failure? you know, very carefully aiming your proton blaster isn't going to go wrong. I don't think... Uh, I mean, tripping over the thug who's trying to rob you, I can see how that goes wrong. Yeah. I don't know. It's, uh, again, massively, massively overthinking it. You're right, mate. The perception check is really trying to create an advantage, isn't it? When you're looking for your telescope to see if the, the enemy ship that's sailing towards you is actually pirates or, or whatever it is, that's you trying to create an advantage of having some prior knowledge I get it. Even though you probably there is no chance of failure necessarily. I'm not sure what a failed create advantage role looks like, even though it says so here. It's kind of like nothing happens. That um, acts, that's not so good.
0: Yeah. Um Well, it says you yeah, don't create it or um you create it but your opponent gets to invoke it for free. So I can sort of see how that works. So if you're I don't know, If you're doing your uh, school library research so that you can then, you know, uh, banish a demon or whatever it is, and you get that wrong, it's kind of like you know you you read out your incantation when you're then the demon laughs going ha ha. You've just opened up the portal so I can get even more power or whatever it is. You know you can kind of certain things you can turn around, but
1: I you know I agree. I think that the proton blaster one's probably a bit of a a poor example to be honest because it doesn't maybe. Yeah, what, what you've just said about the demon helps me, actually, mate, because if you get it wrong, you created a disadvantage. That, that I now get it, funnily enough. <laughs> that makes <that's not> a <laughs> sense. And if you blow your perception roll and you think it is, um, you think it is the her, her Majesty's Royal Navy sailing to your aid, and actually you've yeah, got it exactly. so wrong, it turns out they've just hoisted the Jolly Roger. It's like, oh no, she really should have primed those <laughs> cannons. <laughs> yeah. Okay right well that was, that was the main sticky point everything else in there makes perfect sense to me overcoming attacking defending it's all pretty good um and and then it immediately goes into choosing your approach and it and it addresses that thing we brought up earlier doesn't it about how yeah. it's not always the right thing to do so um by the end of what that's about three or four pages and i guess we should point out that these pages are not big um and they don't have millions of words on them you've got you've got the whole mechanics of a system there and and your head is already spinning off into different directions, like we just did with those examples about what it could all mean. Um, that's good if it gets your brain firing off at uh, an early level like that. I think the the only probably out the back the last bit
0: that's a bit a little bit longer this time is the thirty second version. The call out box for actions and outcomes is actually the best part of the page. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so it's not it quite qu- quite as neat as the rest. But that is you know you could print that one bit out or have it handy, and that just gives you the what you need to know on terms of each of those different four approaches in terms of if you're attacking, defending, overcoming, trying to create an advantage and you fail tie, succeed or succeed with style, what does that mean? It gives you the one liner for each of them. So as long as you've got that and a little bit of card or whatever to one side, you can understand it. The, The probably confusing bit about it is it's got create advantage when you're creating or discovering aspects and then create advantage in an aspect that you already know is there. And I don't, without getting into the nitty-gritty, I don't really understand why they tried to make that two different things because that seems to overcomplicate what was otherwise a fairly neat set of stuff, if you know what I mean. And there's just a minor difference depending on that. But, um, you know, it's a quibble, but it just feels like for this game, for the accelerated version, you've kind of added an extra layer of complication that you could have probably just skipped out.
1: I think it's trying to answer issues that have been had in previous editions of Fate And it's done a really, really good stab at answering it, but it still manages to sow a little bit of confusion. And you've only got to spend five minutes online talking about this game. It's one of the first questions that comes up. I think it's a legitimate target for confusion. A queue loads of people coming into us and telling us how really straightforward it is and (laughs) what what you're worried about. But I get that a lot. It doesn't stop me being confused.
0: (laughs) Yeah, the the onus is on the teacher, not the student. That's what you have to tell them, Baz. It's up to them. If, you, if you're still confused, <laughs> it's their fault. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So moving swiftly along, then um, we've got next challenges, contests, and conflicts, which are um, kind of bunches of the of the above, really. So the the above approaches we've mentioned, approaches of the bigger and the little a, are the basic way of doing stuff. And then there's kind of like. Um, chunks of things together so if you're uh, I don't know uh, in a car chase or something like that it might not be as simple as just making an overcome action to get away from the opponents, you might want to make a bit more meat out of that, there might have to be several things you do to actually get away in your car or that sort of thing so that's what a contest would be a conflict's pretty similar except someone's trying to hurt each someone else or they're trying to hurt each other and that sort of thing, and it's just a um, it seems basically a simple way of chaining things together and someone's got to get a bunch of successes and whoever gets three first wins kind of thing. Is that a fair summary, do you think?
1: Uh, yeah, it's not bad. It's um, it's one of those ones where you have to like forget all the jargon you've ever read before in the hundreds of games you've already got on your shelf, which take you through... Oh, this is the equivalent, isn't it, of uh, group checks, of skill challenges, of multiple roles, trying again... it's it's all of those little call outs you see as spot rules in other games Um, but this is just calling them what i what they are, unfortunately they go with challenge contest conflict which are three synonyms Um, so I before I got this book back on my desk could not have told you which one was which from memory so if you're trying to get into a fight with someone is that a challenge, a contest or a conflict it it is a conflict as it turns out so that's that's handy, that one's not too bad Um, how about like a uh, a motorcycle chase through a crowded city. Which one of those three is that? I'd have to look it up. Maybe it doesn't matter at the end of the day. It doesn't matter which category it falls into. But for once, those three things sound quite similar, so I sometimes struggle to know which category of extended skill check I'm looking for. And that's what they are. They're all extended skill checks. But I quite like them when you read into them. I think it's got uh, mechanics in there to run a chase, based on everything we've seen before. Which is normally something that throws a few other games they can't do it to deliver you a great chase system. Um, it's got you know decent rules for for conflicts of which it doesn't call it the combat section. it calls it the conflict section. That's interesting as well because it could e- easily be uh, a mental duel, a shouting match or an interrogation scene, something like that. So yeah, I like how it does that.
0: So yeah, I don't think you're on there, Barry. I think um, the what what confuses me a little bit as, as well is that there is this kind of um, difference between the two. So I, I understand that there is a mechanical difference, but I, I feel a little bit like there should just be one approach. But yeah, I, I can see why there are differences. It just feels a little bit strange that you've got one for where people aren't trying to hurt each other and people are. Mm. But, um, you know, it's, it's a nuanced thing and they do all work, so you know, I'll not worry about it a little bit too much I suppose um, another thing to mention while we're here on this sort of area is that um, the artwork throughout well, is consistent and done by the same artist but it's got the same mm. characters that we sort of mentioned earlier on or in the examples and they keep turning up in different situations and doing cool stuff which give you ideas about what an exchange might be for example or what they get up to and I think that's a really nice touch as well that it kind of sows a bit of visual narrative in with the wording
1: yeah, and do you know what? I'm kicking myself now, but I actually have a funny feeling as well that the first three sample aspects in the book match up with the three characters on the front of the book as well. Yep, they do uh, indeed. And I've only just noticed that. What idiot. <laughs> don't ask me to review any books.
0: <laughs> it all becomes clear later on when you've got some example characters as well, but don't worry
1: about that. Okay, so yeah, actually resolving stuff in the game... I don't think it's quite as straightforward as as it maybe reads, Um, but you know, I I guess we'll we'll discover more of that as we get into some actual play, maybe a little bit further down the line. Sure. But as as it reads, if you go back to it, it seems clear as day, and when you have a discussion about it with somebody else, again, it seems clear as day. So it's nicely written, um, but I think perhaps it's uh, it's exaggerating its ease.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the bits where
1: I get a little bit.
0: Where I think I'll have to take uh, some proper games again and get used to the idea is the damage, stress, and consequences bit, which comes up next, which is, you know, what happens when someone hits you with their axe or a proton blast or whatever it might be. Because it it sort of reads like it'd be really easy to get taken out. um, And I'm not sure in play if it happens that way or not. But you've got a stress track, but there's kind of three boxes on it, which doesn't sound a lot. Uh, And then you can. As you get hit, you can kind of take consequences, which are things like a sprained ankle or a punctured lung or something like that. You've kind of got a mild, moderate or a severe one, and they take they suck up more damage basically, but you'll take a consequence rather than take the damage. Um or the the interesting bit about this whole stuff about knocking boxes off your stress or taking consequences to avoid damage is if you can't handle it all if you haven't got enough boxes or consequences left to suck it all up then you'll get taken out and your opponent will say what happens to you but at any point before your opponent's rolled his dice you can kind of give, you can just sort of say do you know what, he's beaten me here but you get some sort of say in what happens to you then so you don't get carte blanche, you can't just say oh I'll get away or escape down the, the garbage chute or something, but you get more of a say than you would do if someone rolls the dice well enough and ends up taking you out yourself so it's kind of got that puppy feel to it again in terms of Uh, You can be knocked out, uh, knocked out and tied up, rather than being
1: shot through the head, for example, or something like that. It's that bit for me is kind of odd because it's it's a great idea, it's a normal idea. I totally get it and I applaud it. I never see it happen, (laughs) and there's there's no reason why you couldn't say that that rule, even if it's just a bit of advice, should happen in any game, uh, any role playing game where there's a conflict. You would think that one party would be able to submit, and the reward for submitting is whatever. But you don't see it happen in any game. It just doesn't... I I don't think, maybe one in a million times, you just don't see people conceding on either side. And you should do. You should do much more often. But in this game, it's offered out as an option, so it's more likely to be taken. So, you know, props for doing that. But it is very much a tactical decision, I think, rather than a fictional one or a story-based one. Yeah. You, you make the decision to concede because you don't want to get taken out in a really nasty way. So you have to kind of know how the rules are going. You have to see which way the wind is blowing mechanically before you make that decision because it's still quite a tough decision to take. So again, I think this is where you know the rule book kind of flatters you in thinking this is kind of like loosey-goosey, let's all make up a story together. But just that little bit there, which I think is a good thing it does kind of show that there's some there's a real engine running underneath this, and if you're going to be a smart player, you'll you'll know how it works.
0: Yeah, because there's kind of unwritten stuff as well. Like the amount of damage you take or stress you take uh, is equal to the shifts. Uh, so it's kind of like if if your opponent's rolled say a plus seven and you've only got a plus three on your defence, that's like a four shift level of damage almost sort of thing so something you could do in the actual when he's trying to hit you and you're trying to defend you could sort of spend a fake point and invoke an aspect to give you plus two which means then you'd only take two shifts of damage but that's not mentioning this damage bit this is kind of like this is what you take after you've worked out your outcome but there's actually that that extra layer of little like I like say about a bit of savviness about how the system works thinking like i don't necessarily have to beat my opponent but i could use a better result now to mean I don't have to take as much stress and that sort of thing and that's all things you sort of pick up through playing and get a bit of a handle on isn't it that, that perhaps aren't explicitly stated
1: yeah definitely and again I, I often wonder when I get to this bit of playing fate I really like this on paper it looks great in theory but I can't help but think why isn't it just hit points <laughs> everyone kind of gets that or Savage World with its wounds points because you only get three of those as well don't you yeah so you know, it's not the number that bothers me so much, but when you start ticking these boxes, you're not, you're not crossing them off sequentially. You're crossing off one of them somewhere along the line. It is slightly fiddly, or there, I don't think there's many games that use a system like this one. Lots of games use wound tracks or fatigue trackers or escalating conditions and that kind of stuff. This is very much its own thing, and I quite like it. It looks like quite a nice little system. Um I have yet to play a decent conflict in fate to see how it really shakes out i'd love to i'd love to play you know just like a martial arts tournament or something just to white room it a little bit throw some kicks and punches around and fire some shots just to see how it all goes because like you i would like to be able to look at the system and see how deadly it is mm. and i can't tell from reading these pages how gritty or deadly the game is i can see lots of advice for making the game less gritty or more deadly <laughs> by adding boxes, but as a baseline, uh, this is a game I would need to play to find out how it feels, because I can't get it off the page. Yeah,
0: and another sort of thing that um, gets mentioned is how you recover from that sort of stuff, and a mild consequence basically disappears after the scene you're in if you get a bit of a rest, and all your stress disappears, um, but something like a severe consequence doesn't end until several sessions have passed. So, I, you know, and um a moderate one takes the end of the next session so it's not like this session then you play another one and get to the end of that and then it goes so it feels i mean again we'll have to sort of play through it to to get a proper a proper sense of it but it feels a little bit like you're, you're pretty healthy when you go into your first session but if you take some moderate or severe consequences then you're going to be pretty hampered for the next few sessions if you know what i mean because there's quite a lot of stress there that you can't take anymore or you know there's Certainly the plus four or plus six stress you could take for them, the moderate and severe. If, if they end up getting hit and it's going to be several sessions before you get them back, then you, you're quite fragile at that point, I think. You're going to get it taken out quite a lot, which makes sort of narrative sense. So you've got a punctured lung or something, you know, so quite severe. Yeah, cool. But the whole idea that it might take you several sessions to actually get that one box back, which is quite a big part of how the mechanics work, feels a little bit odd we'd have to see how, it, how it, you know how it worked out in a game but
1: yeah it's yeah uh, absolutely Th- those questions would be answered by play so fine if that's what it is the other question that i would have at this point is there's an awful lot of this game that seems to be quite negotiated at the table so the dice hitting the table are never the end of the conversation in fate accelerated In in the early parts, there's there's a little bit of negotiation to do as to whether you're going to spend your fate point, and that's the next bit we're coming to, so I won't go there. But, But even if you get hit or shot or punched or interrogated, that isn't the end of it. The dice roll is the start of it, because then you as the player have got to make a decision. Will I take some stress? Will I take some consequences? Will I take both? Will I mitigate either of those by... Spending fate points to make them smaller, and then go back to the same decision again. There's a there's a whole bunch of back and forth. Now, for me, if that's quick and simple and decisive, then I haven't got a problem with it. But if every single dice roll becomes a negotiation between the table and the GM, I can see it getting a bit boggy, and yeah. eventually getting back to the oh, right. Right, where were we again? Did I actually hit you or not? I can't remember. You'd have to leave the dice on the table, wouldn't you? And make notes. <laughs>
0: I think. Uh, Yeah, almost. But that's... I'm just whipping back through the PDF now uh, to find a bit about what you do. Because it's... That feels like... If you look at the the 30-second version, it says, you know, roll the dice and add your approach bonus. Decide whether to modify your roll with aspects and then figure out your outcome. So in that kind of summary, it feels like there isn't the negotiation there. You just kind of roll, decide whether you're adding or not, and then you kind of live with it. Um... But that's just looking at the top level, rather than you know digging into the detail to see if it's a slightly different somewhere else. But I know what you mean. Certainly, fake core games. I've I've certainly had that a lot of con games and things where you end up saying, "Well, I'll tag this aspect then," and the gem says, "Well, I'm going to throw this in," and then a friend tries to help you out or points out something else that you could spend a fake point on. The end of this kind of bidding war, um, except you as a player have got a finite resource and so the gem's got an unlimited bucket, so it can. If you if your GM's not uh, viewing the players favorably or the characters favorably, you can sort of end up in a kind of negotiated bit till he gets where he wants to be with you. In that you have to take some consequence or whatever it is. So yeah, it's an odd one.
1: Well, again, a play would answer that question, wouldn't it? Yeah, but it's 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 a question I don't I don't have with with a lot of other resolution systems. It's kind of transparent. You know, thinking back to into the odd you could see that a musket did d8 damage and he had d6 hit points there's not a whole bunch of like what ifs in that <laughs> scenario are there yeah. you knew how the game was going to go and everybody knows that it's going to be quite a deadly game because it's not hard to figure that bit out i don't know what happens if you shoot someone in this game whether you're expected to shoot them six times or it's super realistic and it's a one-shot deal with gunplay And and I can already tell that guns and arguments have the same kind of weight mechanically. Yeah. So it's, yeah, that's not saying it's bad. It's just saying it's it's giving me loads of questions in my head. And that is not actually a bad thing for my game book. No, no, that's all fine.
0: So the, the next bit we've got, I suppose, is one of the meaty ones, which is aspects and fair points. And aspects are always touted, or certainly frequently touted, as the most important part of a fake game. Uh, whereas I find them in play, apart from describing who you are, don't come in necessarily as much as rolling skills or in accelerated. It'll be rolling your approaches, because it'll be probably be at least as important, if not more so, to know that you are sneaky or that you are cautious, rather than the greatest swordswoman on the cloud city, For example, you kind of like that that aspect defines what your character is, but you'll actually roll your whatever it is flashy, I guess in this case. Or forceful, uh, you, know, you roll that a lot
1: more than you will actually tag the aspect and spend a fair point to use it. Do you, do you, do you agree? Or I do. Yeah, I, I got the same thing from way back when when I was introduced to this game with Spirit of the Century. I sat down to play thinking you know, in that game you had ten aspects. Looking back, that was a ludicrous number, um, and you thought you would be pressing the aspect button almost every round, Mm. or every time you're asked to do something by the GM, you would look at your aspects to decide what to do. That's still true. That still gives you a steer for what you want to do as your action. Because if your high concept is sky captain, you want to do something sky captain-y. But you're not rolling against sky captain. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) You are, in fact, you know, the first thing that happens, as we, we said just a few minutes ago, is the first thing that happens is your approach role or your skill roll well no the very first thing that happens is do you need to roll at all is there any chance of failure but that that can be true of any game assuming there is the first thing that happens is a skill roll and if you're successful the game moves on without touching aspects at that point unless you want to be even more successful so that's where the negotiation bit comes in but you're right mate aspects is not the first thing that hits the table mechanically ...but it is the first thing that people discuss with Fate... ...and it's at the top of the character sheet... ...and I think they are really, really good things... ...because they're so applicable to everything... ...and it's very easy to generate characters with aspects... ...you know, words flow into my head easier than numbers do... ...and when I'm describing a scene as a GM to people... ...I can mentally run a highlighter over the aspects I've just said out loud... ...without having to give them a list of darkness modifiers... ...so they do all kinds of really cool things... But it's kind of like thrumming along in the background all the time, and arguably, they are at their best when they're not being brought to the fore mechanically, because when they are, that's when I when I feel it becomes a bit of a negotiation about words. But yeah, it's a skill game. If you took a, if you just left aspects there and took the fate point economy out of it, you would have a very straightforward game, like many others. You're rolling against skills, and your aspects give you permissions to do that. That's that's fine. It's the fate point bit that's attached to the aspects that throws me a little bit, because then there's an economy going on. Yeah, and
0: I think that's um, that's probably an art rather than a a well defined science. I think is that kind of like how how often you get fate points back, or how how willing you are to be uh, compelled. I'm not sure if we're using the right language. I've seen that many versions of. Spirit of the Century of Fate, and you might be using slightly different but it's basically like the GM tries to mess with you a bit, and he'll give you a fate point for doing that, and then you can later on use that fate point to get yourself a bonus uh, to perform extra well, or to turn a you know failure into a win if you if you play it correctly and that kind of thing. So it's that kind of. It, I suppose it's that learn through play thing again we've been talking about because there's no obvious way from looking at it of saying. How often should I spend my fate points? How often can I expect them hmm. to get them back? You know, how often would I expect the GM to be monkeying with what I'm doing based on my trouble or other things that I've got going on? Um, so that there's probably a little bit of a, a feeling out exercise there to make sure that you're not either overspending or not getting enough back, or that you've been too cautious and then not enough cool stuffs happening or extras are happening because you're not you're, you're frightened of spending your fate points. I've certainly had convention games before now where I've I thought I've been playing. Uh, to the spirit of the game and the rules and everything but then halfway through I've run out of fate points and the you know I'm not really being compelled or whatever the, the phrase is for this or you know being given any back for getting in trouble so you then you kind of lost your superpowers at that point as the skills section earlier on or the not skills section the approaches section earlier on mentions that you can be a swordsman but to be a really good swordsman you need to spend your fate points and invoke your aspects so if you run out of those fate points then you've become very ordinary I think
1: yeah yeah you do yeah it' it's the it's the fate points that make make you genre appropriate I think um, they don't really do it that way but you know in the same way that in savage worlds you get a wild die if you're a hero and you don't if you're just a, a, an ordinary bystander mm. it's, I get the same feeling off of this if you've got fate points you're being watched by fate you can do cool stuff um, but you know again maybe that's overthinking it for me it's that that economy is absolutely as much art as science. I think it's it's a real skill. It probably takes experience and flair and all of those things, which back in the day we used to call being a good GM because <laughs> I think it is led by the GM. But where it gets a little bit weird for me sometimes is I kind of didn't need much encouragement to throw trouble players' ways. Because that's what scenarios are. It's a series of <laughs> obstacles and trouble for the players. Yeah. Uh, and and then to, to pay them so that they can pay you back to play in it. I just wonder what would happen if you just took that economy out of it completely. Does it destroy the game? That's a stupid question to ask because Fate says this is how it works and you're playing the game because of the game you've you've read. Yeah. You know, that that would be more than a hack. That would be like playing Dungeons & Dragons without armor class and hit points. It's like, why would you do that? It's not that game anymore, is it? but it it does seem to be a little bit of a there's one mechanic and it's mirror and they feed off of each other and is it, it's not about whether it's necessary it's whether, does it add anything to the game and my experiences to date which have not been that many I guess say that it opens up a world of of issue because you can feel cheated as a player you can feel cheated as a GM you can wonder if you're being too generous not being generous enough I think all the players have to step up and and make mention of compels and invokes and not wait for that traditional GM player relationship because if everybody's invested in making sure it's flowing, then one person isn't going to feel bad for missing something. Mm. But I don't see players suggesting, oh, that looks like a compel to me. And I think they have to, don't they?
0: Yeah, I think definitely because if the GM's got a bunch of, you know, say you've got four aspects per character and you've got five characters, there's twenty aspects there that you can't really expect the gym to be running a game and keep track of all them and make sure that he's been even handed about how he compels each character to make sure they all get an even amount of economy back and all that kind of stuff. It's kinda of gotta be down to people at the table other than the gym as well, sort of chipping in or saying, Oh god, I I hope my little brother's still where I left him, hasn't gone running off on his own or that you know, that kind of stuff to give it a bit of a give the gym an in to offer
1: them up a fair point for doing things. Yeah, the other the other thing I haven't it is is purely personal is that I've never needed any encouragement to get into trouble in scenarios either. <laughs> I'm just one of those instigators who will pull the lever you are. or press the button. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. But I'm not alone in that. That's 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 a reasonably common trope with with people. They often end up becoming GMs, funnily enough. Um but <laughs> It's the only way we can start you messing up scenarios, buzz with many GMs. Yeah, instead. I know. I know. Yeah. Or as I would call it, playing with scenarios. But uh You know, poking stuff and getting into trouble is kind of like, I thought that was in the job description. But it seems to be that in fake games, it's like you would only want to get yourself into trouble because you'll get some superpower boost for later in the game. That's the economy in a nutshell there. Uh, I don't know. For me, I didn't didn't really need that type of encouragement. I'm not going to turn down a fake point if it's being offered. But I'd like to think that I wouldn't have needed fake points to to press those kind of things. If I had a, for example, Savage Worlds, where you've got a hindrance, you could role-play it or not role-play it. You might get a Benny, you might not. It's not inextricably linked to Benny's though, is it? No. It's just there for you to use. And yeah, you do get an edge for it, but but equally, you know, you can you can be a bit role-playing weak source and pick those hindrances that don't come up very much, like sterile in Slay, <laughs> you know. But I did, if this is forcing people to play their characters... Uh, that's a bit of a shame, because I, don't, I shouldn't think people need to be forced to play characters. Maybe they do. Maybe that's why Alignment was invented in 1974. Who knows? Yeah, well I think maybe there you, you're sort of looking at it as like, yeah,
0: I don't know whether it is forcing people. I think that you, it's easy to look at it in that kind of like, probably a bit of a negative lens almost. And I think you've just sort of got people coming to the table who understand that they will get in trouble and then They'll get points for that, and then they can be awesome later on. And I, I've, probably the uh, the analogy I could think of is something like, um, like Buffy, or something like you know one of those kind of like teen, Monster of the Week kind of things, where you know there's always something that goes wrong. There's always some you know spanner in the works, but then ultimately when it comes to defeating the big band at the end, they do. So, I guess you've got to look at it in that sort of way that the players coming to the table have got to understand that along the way there's going to be obstacles get chucked in the way, and they can't go to the prom because the mum says you're grounded, even though they know that's where the vampire's going to get summoned or something like that. Uh, it's kind of coming to it knowing that there will be things that get in your way that you will ultimately overcome, but you kind of go looking for the things getting in the way yourselves as, as well. And it's not a matter of because you'll get fair points for it, that's just what happens, you know, as part of the game. You, you know, it's not a. I have seen it from the other side, I know what you mean. Certainly for like Savage Worlds and Benny's where you can feel a little bit like you're giving out skeevy snacks or you're playing favourites or you know players can be disgruntled about it and feel they can't take as part as much if they don't have as many as other people and that kind of stuff. But I think really you've just got to look at the, the game in terms of this economy as being things that happen while you're playing the game the way you should anyway rather than there being a, you know, a reward or a, a stick to beat players with if they don't play properly in inverted commas.
1: Yeah, no, fine. Again, it'll be answered in play. Absolutely. Uh, we'll see how that goes, mate. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. But it's just another one of those one's where I'm reading it through. They make it look so easy. <laughs> <laughs> I just I don't know. It, if it, it all reads really well. I've always
0: said that about Fatecore and, and all the other books. Yeah. They all read very well. It's the how that comes to life in the
1: game, isn't it? True. Yeah. Okay. Um, next up, stunts, which, as, as we said before, they've already said these are coming, and here they are. And uh, these are the the tricks, the manoeuvres, the techniques that would that will kind of break the rules of the game. So you won't just be rolling an approach and using an aspect to modify it. If you wanted to, your your stunt is like your cool little ability. Um, I kind of like the way they set them up here. This is a bit different to Fake Core because they give you uh, a Numenera style. I think it's called that these days, even though (laughs) it predates it. Um, (laughs) But it's one of those uh, it's one of those sentences. Or mad libs where you get to change the words of the sentences and you can construct a stunt out of it um, and it's quite nicely done uh, and you can pick from little drop-down menus and you might get an example and I'll give you an example the first one in there because I'm a smooth talker I get plus two when I sneakily create advantages when I'm in a conversation with someone so those type of stunts always give you a plus two which is the equivalent of paying a fake point uh, so that's that's not not nothing um, can turn your top skill from plus three into a plus five, which is pretty huge. Yeah. So they're all good. Um, and then the other type of stunts tend to be like once per game session things, which again, you think up some phrasing for it. You think up the situation when it would happen. Um, and they're little rules breakers, like you just automatically go first in a conflict or uh, you find a helpful ally or you invent a contact, those kind of things. You do have to build them yourself. So this is where they got some page count back from regular books because this would normally turn into pages and pages of pre-written stuff, wouldn't it? Yeah. So it's pros and cons to self-build stunts or self-build anything because Fate is quite self-buildy. You're building an entire campaign setting and character all in one go here, aren't you?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's okay. It's fine. I think it's good because you get a bunch of examples it gives you some idea about the sort of thing you're supposed to do. Um I like the once per game session things. I think they're sort of in, the, in my head of this sort of PG-13 TV series that we're, we're in for young adults. Um, I can I can imagine that there's that sort of signature move you've got that, that you know, uh, once per session I have exactly the right thing to fix a mechanical device or what. You know, that, that sort of thing where like, oh, yeah, he's the guy who's always got that screwdriver in the back of his pocket or always comes up with a thing it uh, feels like a Doctor Who companion or something. It's that kind of you know, once per session I can do this cool stuff. And I, I like the fact that as a player you've got that in your back pocket almost and you, you're pretty sure that at some point there's going to be the time when you need something that you haven't got or that uh, a special advantage or connection might help and you can pull it out the bag sort of thing and everybody's like, oh yeah, don't. everybody looks in your direction after a few sessions, don't they? And go like, well, who would we know who knows about True. that? And you kind of like, well, we'll look at Pete because he's the one who knows all the connections and he'll have to then presumably on the fly, that player comes up with a connection that he's known for years, but has just introduced to the game at that moment. So I think it's good for adding those sort of, like, spontaneous bits of detail and kill bits and gives that player a better spotlight. It makes them feel like they're, you know, they're being relied upon to provide a certain something to the game. So that's quite good. Um, the, the plus two in certain circumstances, I'm not... It's fine, but like you say, you could get plus five in things, and if it's done... If you don't weight it correctly you could end up with someone getting plus 5 quite a lot, if you know what I mean. Um, one of the ones from the book, for example, is uh, because I have a big cart shield, I get plus 2 when I forcefully defend and use my shield in close combat. And, and for that, I'm imagining some kind of paladin or knight in a fantasy setting, and I imagine that forceful is going to be their highest approach at plus 3, and I imagine there's very few occasions they're not going to have their shield in close combat. So that that one feels a little bit like Every time they defend in fights, which is where they're going to be and what they're going to be doing, they'll be getting plus five rather than the usual plus three or a smaller number. So I think there's probably a bit there where you think, yeah, if that character defending, is that actually too too useful a stunt? If you know what I mean, it's going to get used too often. You, you arguably want to do a bit of fine-tuning to see if you can come up with stuff that comes up reasonably often, so it's worth having, but not all the time so that becomes a de facto guaranteed bonus kind of thing
1: yeah agree with all of that mate and I would add to what you've just said by thinking is Big Kite Shield a decent aspect Yeah, no, it's rubbish because it it could be <laughs> it could be you'd want more to it because yeah, you'd want to know what was written on it and who you got it from and stuff like that yeah. but there are similarities you know it's, it's a statement it gives you a plus two in certain circumstances that looks a lot bare bones like an aspect does and and when this comes up of course is when you're thinking about pulling a character together or inventing your world or whatever you think oh could this be an aspect or could it be a stunt and you have to go back and pick it over and think is it a trick manoeuvre or technique because that's what a stunt is or is it something that's intrinsically about me as a person I don't know it's it's not obvious which one it gets dropped into. Do you
0: know what yeah I, you talk me around you, I agree with you actually that is that, if that was like my father's shield or something like that, then I could definitely see that being an aspect. And at the times when it really mattered, you bring to mind when you're handed it to you and that's the last time you saw him alive or whatever, and then you spend your fair point and you get your plus two. I think that's that's much more in keeping with the rest of the, the things than it's a stunt. It's not really a stunt. It's, yeah. No, I agree. I think you're right.
1: It's, it's not necessarily a problem. It's just that there's two layers of mechanical heft that are put into the game. Sure. A game that's really only got three, and two-thirds of it is, is stuff you really have to think about. And it all becomes about negotiation again. And there's an awful lot of negotiation in this game. Mm. And a lot of it's done before you even start to play. And I, I'm i going to put this out there. I, I know that there's loads of people in this world who hate players who say, I hit it with my axe in combat, because they think it's gaming weak source. Mm. Guess what? Well, I'm one of them, if I'm honest, Joe. That's fine. But... <laughs> What what you could always count on before fate came along is at least you could just be weak source with constructing your character and bring it to life in the game because you could just drop the numbers into the right categories and you could write lawful good next to your paladin and pick heavy armour. No one was going to ask you, what does your armour look like? <laughs> no one was going to ask you, where did you get your shield? No one was going to say, tell me the name of the fencing school that you went to. Necessarily. They might have done, you might have done a background yourself, but you wouldn't have been... You wouldn't have been shown the door from the game if you didn't bring that stuff with you. Whereas in fate, you've really got to discuss everything. You're not allowed to get away with putting down big acts as an aspect or a stunt. Because the rest of the table won't let you do that. And the book says that's poor, don't do it. So <laughs> it's it's almost like you've got to be you've got to be absolutely on your descriptive game. And if you're not a fan of words, you're not a fan of being put on the spot, you're not a fan of thinking through the fiction this isn't necessarily going to be the game for you and i don't want to slight any other type of gamer whatsoever but i could absolutely coast my way through a game of D without using any adjectives no problem and still enjoy the experience but you can't do that with this i think that's fair i think that's fair yeah i
0: this is more my sort of game where you do bring it and don't just say i hate it with my axe you've got to have a bit more uh narrative weight to it than that to get me interested um but yeah, I think if you just if you're used to running through Pathfinder or something, run by the numbers, and don't have to ask the innkeeper's name or do anything of the sort, you just have a you know equipment lists and you roll to hit and damage and work out how much loot and XP you've got. Then yeah, this might come as a little bit not a shock, but you might feel like you're missing out on something. You might feel like where's the where's the numbers to roll? Where do I just get my direction? Why do I have to think too much? But yeah, so I'd, I'd definitely come to uh, Fate Accelerated or Fate Core itself as uh, with more idea that you you need to contribute some stuff and come up with some ideas. I think even before the game begins. Yeah, potentially certainly worth having a full session on coming up with the characters' world, how they all interact, and all that kind of stuff, isn't
1: it? Oh, for sure, and I have to say because it sounds like I'm being down on it, I am not at all having done character generation in loads of different fate variants, it's always generated cracking characters and loads of situations and half a dozen scenarios. I don't think you can go far wrong. I'd I'd say it it needs a smaller group and more than anything else it needs groups who are are content to, to push themselves forward and push ideas into the middle of the table for everybody to consider. There's no room for lone wolves or the shrinking violet types I would suggest when it comes to that group generation stuff.
0: Agreed. Um, so moving on from there to the other end of it in terms of uh, advancement, there's a little bit on that. Um, the thing is with most Fate-type games is that characters tend to be sort of at the top of the game anyway. So uh, again, to sort of hark back to that sort of DD example we had is that if you're expected to kind of level up loads and get loads more bonuses, then that's not really what happens. You kind of get to swap things around a little bit and then get a very slow and gradual... Plus one here and plus one there to boost things up a little bit. Um, But I think that's fine. I think the idea behind this sort of system is that you're good anyway. So, you know, you're starting off pretty at the top of your game and you'll get marginally better, but that's expect things to stay pretty much the same, I guess, in that terms of advancement or whatever.
1: Yeah, it, it reads well to me. It talks about milestones, which is about having agendas, having things you're aiming towards. It certainly isn't racking up XP to get more powers or anything else like that they're story milestones it is what it is it's not your traditional advancement you would see in trad games um fine i don't think you would ever convince anybody who likes xp systems that this is better and you'll never convince people who love this that other ways of doing it better it is what it is i think what it's important to suggest is that your character as you say is already quite capable so you might as well start acting that way you know don't wait get dramatic get dramatic early your character will change, but they might not necessarily get bigger numbers because that's not that type of game, is it? And this whole thing is wrapped up in, what, a few paragraphs, and yeah, I get it. It's fine.
0: Yeah. Yeah, very much. And then I think that sort of brings to uh, to a close your sort of player... Uh, well, not brings a close to the player stuff. But that, that's the meat of the how the game works and what to do as players generally. And then we sort of move on to if you're a GM, then what? You know, because... All that reads fine. I think any new player could probably breathe through that and get a good idea and if someone's running the game for them, they could join in and have fun without too much difficulty. Um, the, the the harder bit is where you're you sat around as a group of people and one of you's got to GM it. If you don't know what a GM is, I haven't heard that phrase before. I think that's probably the difficulty there. So The next bit of the document sort of like being a GM and what you do about that. Uh, the nice bit, straight away, is that little call-out box saying it can seem intimidating and difficult, but it takes skill, you know, it takes practice to master that skill. You'll get used to it. Here's a chunk of stuff that's going to help you along a bit. So it kind of addresses straight up that you might have concerns or trepidation about doing that thing, but straight away it's saying, don't worry about it. You know, you'll, we'll get there. Um, and then it starts off by talking about building campaigns and straight away it's like all the players should collaborate with the GM. So it's reinforcing that message that it's about everybody around the table having the same idea or ideas and going on the same journey together. It's not like the GM secretly makes the book you don't know about.
1: I I think, this is, I think this is really strong advice, and you kind of have to forget all the advice you've ever had from other books about being a GM, because if you play this the way it's written, you've already probably four or five of you have sat around and generated a campaign world by accident and a whole bunch of characters with great scenario seeds. Not by accident, you've actually generated it on purpose. You've got a whole bunch of stuff. Your job as the GM, it doesn't say it specifically there, is to have spent the previous few hours making notes on the stuff that was said. You've got your game ready to go. Because Fate generates really good characters that are dramatic, with troubles already built in, it's ready to rock and roll. You go with one of these opening statements... Like, for example, you've already agreed, I suppose, as a team, that it might be cat people, sky pirates in flying ships always on the run from the Royal Navy who are trying to catch them. You say that, and the game should start. It might be a bit of an awkward silence for the first few seconds, but one player will say something and try and do something, and you'll say yes or no or maybe. And I think the game doesn't completely run itself. There's no such thing. But over the course of this couple of pages about building scenarios and running game sessions, it says everything it needs to and nothing it doesn't. I, I would love to give this to someone who'd never GM'd before and see how they go on with it. I can't, I can't be that person, but I'd love to do it.
0: Yeah, I I I think it would be a little bit someone, Like you say, if you gave a Pathfinder adventure or something to somebody, then it's like, here's here's a list of rooms that they'll go through and they start here and this is where they end up and this is what happens in each room. Uh, so that's pretty, it's almost like putting your flat pack of furniture together in that sense. But this feels a little bit more like You've kind of got to get everybody involved and saying what might happen, and then
1: you've got to come up with cool things that happen as the players try to interact with it on the fly. But, you, but I think you, you 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 are that sort of person. This doesn't this gives you some confidence in that it doesn't absolutely hold your hand through the process of creating a scenario, particularly. But it has confidence in you that you've read this far in the book. You've just seen six characters get generated. You probably thought of some yourself. You've got an imagination. It's just taking it, what it doesn't do is say, go and get a module from your friendly local game store <laughs> because it, they would be very difficult to do for, for Fate's characters. I think there aren't that many out there, and I think that's noticeable. That it just suggests, look, you've already got all the building blocks, you've just spent ages tipping out bits of gaming Lego onto the table with you and your friends, give them an idea of what to build and then see what they do with it. Yeah. Yeah, and the, liberating but terrifying <laughs> yeah, at the same time yeah the, and the next page is it's just a one
0: page of game but it, it's got some good bits and pieces in there like a scenario and it just says you only need two things a bad guy with a goal and something that the PCs can't ignore uh, and that's pretty much you know you, you've got your your main idea for it then and then chunks in the, in the game sessions about how to run a scene or uh, that kind of stuff all comes later but if he just gives you that goal, if you've noticed know, like someone's kidnapped your little brother, <laughs> there you go, you work out who the someone is, that's the bad guy, and they why these with the stealing little children, for example, and they can't ignore it because it's one of the player's brothers, so they have to go on with it so that you know that that's all you need to get going. I think, like you said, the rest of it can
1: kind of come out through a play, but when you need to this stuff, it'll be a little bit scary. And definitely, because you, you'll get the feeling. I think if the players really grab at it, and why wouldn't they? Because you're going to react to what they suggested over character generation. It's going to be like trying to steer a wild horse. And <laughs> uh, perhaps the perhaps the thing to do is to not bother trying to steer it, but just enjoy the ride. Because you can't really break this. You can't get it wrong. And you know, and death isn't really on the table, as we alluded to in previous previous bits. I I, I think I. The reason why I haven't run too many fake games is because I haven't followed this advice and I've tried to run it like I run my other games. And I wonder, well, I want to find out what it's like to actually do this the way it says it is and show up and see what happens. I reckon it'd be pretty cool. Yeah, I think that's the way to do it. I agree. Yeah, God knows we've tried. Yeah, well, (laughs) we're going to try
0: some more. So yeah, then there's just a little bit more to round out that section in terms of like uh, having MOOCs who are the, the bad guys who just drop because they've only got one or two dress boxes and that's it? And how your baddies might be started up, that kind of thing. Um, but that's, that's kind of it for your GM section once you've gone through that. So, yeah, it is pretty lightweight. It's like, you know, it, here's how you mechanically do your stuff and this is what the basics you need for a scenario. Now, away you go and fly, my children, and <laughs> go and produce lots of exciting games, I guess.
1: I, I do like the asymmetrical design, it's something to look out for in every game. As a GM, I don't want all of my bad guys to have to be statted up to the level that players do, because oh, right. I don't have 20 of those to run, and everyone else has got one each. I, I do like the stripped-down stat block, or the stripped-down methodology for using the bad guys, and they apply it here. It's still the fake game. There's no cheats or anything in it, um, but it's it's nicely done, and I have to admit that my experience of doing this is that it's actually relatively straightforward to to come up with the mechanics for your scenario, yeah, and you can almost do it at the table because as you describe the bad guy as they enter the room, you are naming the aspects. Yes, <laughs> it just <laughs> it happens naturally. You do that thing again where you run your mental highlighter over the things that you say, and that is the game. That's really clever. Yeah, yeah, all good. So, um, yeah, with that bit of GM stuff
0: out of the way, then we're into the example characters. So these. Uh, figures that have appeared on the, the cover of the back on the insides so, I and mean, little journeys and adventures throughout. You now get a, a fully statted out version of each one which is quite nice because it gives you that full full idea of what characters might look like. Or, you know, if you really wanted to you could get three friends together and chuck on one of these each and uh, off you go. That'd be some scenario with each of these. <laughs> yeah,
1: because they are radically different. Aren't they? <laughs> if it's four, it's four, four, I say. Sorry, You could, you could have four players. Four? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I, they're all really good characters, and what I like about them the most is they are in no way totally generic. You don't have like your science fiction captain, and you don't have your fantasy paladin, and you don't have your horror investigator, which you know any other generic rulebook. And this is a generic rulebook. That's what they would go with. Yeah. But instead, we've got, as you suggested, mate, we've got the um, the Sun Caller, which we now know a little bit more about. He's like a desert monk. And he's all Kung Fu and stuff and he's really cool and he's 14 years old which I like as well yeah. um, old Voltaire is the captain of the Cirrus Skimmer you only know she's a cat person by reading this because it's not obvious from the picture until you see she has got a tail <laughs> but she's a cat pirate which is cool uh, and then you've got Abigail from the School of Sorcery which is kind of a slightly mangarish Harry Potter which I think is a nice blend Yeah. and then uh, Bethesda Flushing PhD Dr. Flushing Chief field agent. I, I think these are all really interesting characters, yeah. and what what's really interesting about them is each of them is a campaign waiting to happen. You get four campaign settings in this book without even realising mm. it. That's good value for money because they're all they're all very playable, even if it's just a one shot out of each. You got your money back. Well, There's a bit of curiosity in there, like um, the
0: Doctor Flushing has got... She's a field agent of Igema, or I-G-E-M-A. I I don't remember saying oh there it does sorry it doesn't a description actually explain what that is but up until this point they, no one had mentioned that although uh, an acronym has been you know littered throughout the book at various points uh, and you know it's just that bit that gets you think well what is what is the organisation what do they do and it doesn't really tell you that even in her description but you know it's just that kind of. I think it feels a little bit like Over the Edge and some other games like that in ways in terms of that you've got interesting stuff going on and you don't necessarily have to have it all fleshed out in front of you, you know what I mean? It's not one of those games where you have 500 pages of background to wade through so that you know exactly what's going on with every different organisation, who's in charge of it and who they're fighting with and all the rest of it. That all comes when you're playing. All you need at the start is some tidbits and interesting things and it's the, the sort of stuff like you're saying in Into the Odd when I mentioned the third Automaton War that you were like, oh right, well what, what were the other two then? And you know, it doesn't matter that nobody's documented all that out yet or there's not a supplement for it coming from the uh, uh, Evil Hat games or anything like that, but this is all stuff that we make
1: up on what's cool in the game now, There's loads of stuff in this, I mean reading other people's characters is normally fairly tedious work, reading these characters makes you want to roll up more of them and then have a game with them They look great Yeah I think they're really, really interesting, and again, props for a bit of diversity in there, which they don't bang on about. I've already banged on about it more than the book does, <laughs> yeah. but it's good to see, you know. Yeah, it's nice. You've got a real good mix of different things in there. It's really inclusive, and you would have absolutely. I think this is, I think this is a really, really good book to hand to people to try and explain to them what it is this strange hobby that we have. It is one of the best one shots. I've seen despite what because every question I've had about it comes from being a hoary old veteran, yes, none of the questions I have about it come from being a fourteen year old like I used to be who's trying to get into like you know fan fiction or loves my genre stuff and really wishes I could find more of a community for it, and like wouldn't it be cool <laughs> if we could play in the same world as this video game, but without having the video game all that stuff this is a brilliant, brilliant book to get into that stuff,
0: yeah, yeah, I agree. So there's, there's just a couple more pages just to finish off the book, just round it out. And the, the first one's a quick reference, which I think great. I like the first one. It's got the the ladder of in terms of which we haven't mentioned yet, but instead of just having a result from minus two to plus eight, depending on what your approach is and what your role, and if you've added any aspects in and that kind of stuff, uh, you kind of go up and down this ladder. And instead of just being numbers, it's, uh, it's attached descriptors to them as well. So if you get plus four as an outcome overall, that's great. If you get plus seven, that's epic. Uh, and so it's you know that's quite a good fun thing as well which gets you into sort of describing things and a slightly better than just oh a one or a one by one it's kind of like you know gives you a bit more there but uh it goes through the you know outcomes and actions and all the all the different bits and what happens if you fail tie succeed etc that's quite good and then there's a quick reference too which is a bit more involved and has got the stress and consequences and that kind of where we were saying it gets a little bit more involved, you'd have to play it to work out what happens. I think that sort of gives you the, a feel for it because the quick reference there still feels a little bit heavy. I mean, it's not, really, but compared to the first page, which is just, boom, here's all you need to do in on one page, it just feels a little bit heavier, so it kind of highlights that there's probably a bit more involvement once you start having uh, conflicts and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, apart from that and the index and a, a sample character
1: sheet, you're done. That's vertex Yeah and a character sheet is good they're not always this one is good I like it a lot um, yeah it, it's, it's a really nice package mate I think it's a great package I've been down on some of it but that comes from experiences with which aren't pure Fate Accelerated I don't think my Fate journey started with Spirit of the Century a long time ago and it's been round the houses with millions of different things and even during this discussion we probably use terminology that isn't in Fate Accelerated true but, but when I look at it with fresh eyes I see it's a really good little package that as with so many games don't buy anything else, play that play it till you get bored and then go and get something else, don't even look online for advice, don't even listen to this podcast because you just need to play it <laughs> it's <late> exactly <laughs> like it is well I just think everybody else's opinions on other games are useful everybody else's opinions when it comes to fake games are just that, they're just opinions You've got, you really have got to decide is it a stunt? Is it an aspect? Does it matter to your table? Do you need to say more about it or less about it? You know, it's, it's a bunch of Lego, really. Yeah. Um, and, and nobody can tell you that it's right or wrong. And when you do get confused, the idea is speak to your table. Don't necessarily speak to somebody else's fate game because you might as well be asking somebody about the color of the moon. You know, <laughs> their, their, their experiences and yours are not necessarily going to line up. <laughs> I've confused myself trying to get to the bottom of fate. And perhaps the way to get to the bottom of it, Accelerated is to play it as it is. Yeah.
0: No, good show. I think well, it's the same with many games, isn't it? You just need to actually play it. Uh, it's easy to read something. And, you know, I, I, I think you're right. Sometimes we have sounded a little bit critical of it and all the rest of it. That's because we're trying to get picky and really, you know, tear it apart for to, to get the all the little gristle out of it and everything we can. I think you're right. Your summary is fine, though. You know, as a, as a document, you'd want to give to someone and say, that role playing thing I'm into, grab a few friends and, and give this a go. See, so come back and tell me what you think. I think it's really good. And to say it's free or virtually nothing if you want the physical copy as well. Um and the support they've got on the website as well, so you can get if you want a form fillable character sheet, you can get one of them for nothing and etc. I think it's all really good. For for the amount of investment and all you really need is to get a few people together around a table and give it a bash. I think this is a really good sort of start for Tim
1: yeah absolutely Yeah, all you need to do when you hand that over to someone is lend them your fake dice because that's the only bit <laughs> but, but otherwise it would be really really interesting I don't know if I'll be able to do that I don't know if I can scare up enough newbies or whatever but you know, this is this is a game I would pull out of my bag for newbies to roleplay in there's not many I wouldn't because I don't think the game has to be light to appeal to newbies but this does get to the core of a certain experience and gets them making decisions really early that's not a bad thing. Cool. So what's the next plan, guys? What are we going to do with it?
0: I think we should run some games.
1: I think we should do one each. Correct. I think we should. That sounds like a great plan. And I think we should do it with no reference to anything else apart from what's in here and what people say. Um, And because I immediately want to go looking for the Fate System Toolkit and Fate Core and all the other bits and pieces you can get but I think I want to play it fairly raw. Like I did with Into the Odd. You might have different ideas, which is totally cool, but I think I want to play it as it um, and scare up a few people who know... It doesn't matter whether they know anything about Fate or not at all, but just sort of generate it all from scratch rather than the traditional method of me compiling a scenario and maybe pre-gens, that's probably missing the point.
0: Yeah, maybe. Well, we can do both, can't we? Because we did something fairly similar last time in that you kind of run it as per what you got given in the uh, in the book I, I and I had a bit more a think about what I might want to do so we can certainly take that approach again you can go absolutely raw and I can knock something together for my you know Netrunner flavour or whatever it is I'm into at the minute and uh, sugar some pre-gens out there and see how that falls
1: Fab okay right that sounds like a plan so thanks guys for listening for what is a fairly lengthy podcast for us uh, don't know what it would be like in post edit <laughs> but for a fairly slim book I think that's a measure of, of the potential of this game is it doesn't have many pages but it inspires an awful lot of thinking and, and it goes down into sort of quite deep levels of gaming philosophy at certain points as well. Really easy to overthink but um, appreciate everyone sticking with us so far. Yep,
0: yeah, cheers guys. Uh, if you have any thoughts, comments, if you'd like to get involved again, certainly for a, a pair chum, we'll take your number first. Uh, give us a shout. Tell us what you think of Fate Accelerated and your experiences. We always love to hear from you. Cheers, guys.